2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 is where we're going to be at tonight. And we're going to start with a little Bible drill, so you better get to flipping fast because I want to get right to the text tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 19, God says, But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. We have an indoor dog that stays at her house. Her name is Sadie. And I got her not long after me and Ashley got married because, in all honesty, she was working night shift. So every time that I would come into the door, she was walking out of the door and vice versa. And that's hard enough as it is when you first get married, trying to transition and trying to solidify and affirm your relationship with each other to work on different shifts like that. And to be quite honest, I was lonely sitting at the house night after night. So I'm a dog lover, so I got a little long-haired dachshund, and she stays in the house with us. And from time to time, I will let her out in the backyard to run around and get some fresh air and use the bathroom and stretch her legs and all that good stuff. And she's a hunter. Like, she, she, when she gets out in the backyard, it's not all funs and games. It's like to do business. And so she's sniffing around. She's checking out every little thing. She runs the whole perimeter of the fence to, like, check and make sure that everything in her backyard is in the shape that it's supposed to be in. And so oftentimes I'll stand on the deck and I'll just watch her do her thing. But one of her favorite things to do when she gets out there is to find something. I don't know how she does it, but every single time almost she will find something in the backyard to roll around in. Now, I don't know if you've ever watched dogs do this, but there's something about like a dead animal or something, just whatever nasty, just filth, just stink that they can get in. They just want to roll all in. I don't know what it is in a dog's nature that makes them want to do that. But I'll be on the deck and I'll be standing in the backyard and I'll watch her and inevitably she'll find something to roll around in and as soon as I see her like dip that head down and smear her face and she'll roll around on her back and get all over it and roll around on her stomach and I'm up on the deck yelling at her to get back in the house you're gonna get out all over the couch I don't even know what that is but I bet we can't get it out so I try and get her back in the house and she gets all in a mess but she loves going outside and finding something to roll around in. And that might not be the best example or illustration, but over the next few weeks, that's what I want us to do with this passage that we just read from 2 Timothy. We're going to roll around in it and get it all over us for the next couple of weeks through this new series that we're calling Vessels. And I don't know how much notice you have or haven't taken of the world around us lately, but the days are evil, ladies and gentlemen. Wickedness abounds Sin is everywhere. It is corrupting and infiltrating each and every part and aspect of life as we know it. But just as we saw in the text that we read, the Bible informs us that as followers of Jesus, we are to be vessels. And a vessel is, by its most simplistic definition, a container used to hold something. So we're to be vessels filled with the Spirit, set apart for holiness to carry the glory of God to the world around us. That's the general overview. Now let's get it more specific and narrowed. Go back and look at verse 20 and 21. Paul says to Timothy as he writes to him, Now in a great house, 
There are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. My title for this first installment, I'm calling Manual for Use. When me and Ashley first got married, we were blessed to receive all kinds of shower gifts from people that loved us, friends and family members. They blessed us with all kinds of stuff as a young couple getting started out. And a lot of it was basic home items that you need, like appliance type stuff. So, you know, microwaves, toaster ovens, vacuum cleaners, all that good stuff that you just never think you need until you get out on your own and then you realize that you didn't actually have any of that for yourself. It was just your parents your entire life. And so now you need some of those things for yourself. And I remember time and time again opening up a box and on top would be the instruction manual, which for any decent man means absolutely nothing. So it's just in the way at the moment. So, But every single box that I would open up, whatever new appliance it might be, on top of the product would be that book and those big bold letters in black that say instruction manual. But there was one box that I opened that stuck out, and I vividly remember it for this reason and this reason only, that when I opened it up, the book that was on the cover didn't say instruction manual. It said manual for use. And then underneath it, it had this subtitle, how to get the best use out of your product. Turn to somebody beside you and tell them, maximize your usefulness. Maximize your usefulness. Over the course of these next few moments, we're going to talk about maximizing your usefulness. As Paul is speaking to Timothy, he's talking about being a vessel. But he points something out, and that's the fact that there can be two kinds. There's honorable, and then there is dishonorable. And there are a lot of different things in our world that can be a vessel like this, for instance. This is, uh, for the next few weeks, this is going to be Victor, the vessel, because we are victorious in Christ. So this is Victor, our vessel. But all kinds of different things in this world can be vessels as long as they can hold or carry something. So jars can be Vessels, cups can be vessels, bowls can be vessels, cars can be vessels, ships can be vessels. Do you know what else? Toilets can be vessels. Garbage cans can be vessels. A septic tank can be a vessel. And as Paul is speaking to Timothy, he's making a point. And he's telling this young man to make sure that you're a vessel that's filled with and carrying the right stuff. We should be striving to be honorable vessels as followers of Jesus that he can use for his good. So I want to show you some setup instructions tonight, so to speak, that can help us all to maximize our usefulness as a vessel for God's glory. So instruction number one, you've got to release from sin. You've got to release from sin. If you want to maximize your usefulness as an honorable vessel unto God, you have to release from sin. So go back and look in verse 19. As we started off, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, God's firm foundation stands bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So Paul gives Timothy a twofold prescription 
right as he enters into describing believers as vessels. And he states this, number one, the Lord knows those who are his. So if you are belonging to Christ, if you have surrendered your life to him, if he has washed you clean by the blood of his sacrifice, then he knows each and every one of you. And he never loses sight of you. He has his seal set upon you. So you are stamped, you are sealed, you are brought in, you are grafted in, you are adopted into the family of God. And Jesus knows his sheep by name, each and every one of them, and he never loses track of them. But the second part of what Paul says is this, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. In other words, if you claim Christ, leave sinfulness behind. Now listen, I'm not trying to harp on anything in particular in this moment, but for those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus, it is beyond past time that we start living as such set-apart people. Perhaps nothing over the centuries has done more damage to the witness and the testimony of the church of God than believers claiming one thing and living another. Paul says, those of you who name the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. In other words, leave sin behind. Release yourself from sin. Stop damaging your testimony. Stop dragging the name of Jesus through the mud because you won't live out who you claim to be. Release from sin. If we want to maximize our usefulness as a vessel for good to our Savior, then we must depart from iniquity. We must release from sin. Now, I know this may seem like an impossibility, so we're going to get into some stuff for a second because we constantly battle our fleshly, sinful nature. Can anybody relate to the battle? Can anybody relate to the struggle that is our fleshly, sinful nature that even though it has been crucified with Christ time and time again tries to rear its ugly head and its nasty face in your life to tempt you to do things that you know you should not be doing? It's a constant battle that we face. So I know hearing depart from iniquity, I know hearing release from sin can seem like an almost impossibility. And in this, I want you to know that I'm not saying that we can arrive at a point of living in sinless perfection, but I am saying that through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we can trend in a sinning less direction. Those of us who live and breathe and walk and keep in step with the Spirit, the more that you do so on a consistent basis, your life cannot help but trend in a direction where you begin to sin less. It's a natural progression. And so I'm going to do my best to help you see and understand some, man, what are really transformative truths that go along with this that God has been pouring into my life over the past several years, really, because I'm learning this as I go as well. And you know, one of the most amazing things that I've come to realize that Jesus does for us through his salvation is break sin's rule over our lives. Yes, him creating us new. Yes, him washing away our sins and him choosing to forget them. Yes, him extending us love, grace, and mercy and forgiveness. Those are all great and amazing things and qualities of our God that he shows us through his salvation. But one of the most amazing things that I've come to really take in as a part of all of that is that he breaks sin's rule over our lives. Before Jesus, we were held captive by sin. We were powerless against its demands and its control. We were in a battle that we, in essence, had no opportunity to win. So listen to some of these passages that show us this. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3 says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Ephesians 5.8 says, For at one time you were darkness. Colossians 1.21 says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. Colossians 2.13 says, You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. We were held captive by sin before Jesus entered into our lives. Powerless to overcome its rule and its dominion that it's set up inside of our hearts. But when we surrender to Jesus Christ and He brings salvation into our lives, He tears down the power that sin once held us captive to. Now you need to see the Scriptures again. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 says, We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Later on in the same chapter in verses 6 and 7 it says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Listen to this. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Then later on down in the same chapter in verse 12, he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions like it used to. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for righteousness or for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you. For sin will have no dominion over you. For sin will have no dominion over you. Since you are not under law, but under grace. Galatians 4.9 But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more. Galatians 5, 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Galatians 5, 16, but I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5, 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Galatians 6, 14, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Jesus has set us free. He has released us from the power of sin. It no longer holds you captive anymore. i got to take a breath. On and on and on the Scriptures go to show us what the work of Christ on the cross did in accomplishing our freedom from sin that once held dominion and power over us. Celebrate tonight, men and women of God, because it no longer has dominion over you. And this simple but profound reality and truth is, you don't have to sin. Did you hear me? You don't have to sin. Now, that doesn't mean that the temptation just disappears. That doesn't mean that the desire never attempts to creep back in to your life. But when it does, you're still free and you have a choice. Our country is in a strange time of its history. 
But, you know, for the most part, people still take their freedom and their liberty quite serious. And I've noticed this maybe more so than ever in conversations people have about the vaccine. Now, I'm not trying to get political about anything by any means. I'm not going to stand here and tell you that you should or you shouldn't, whatever. Everybody has their choice in what they're going to do. But I cannot tell you how many times over the past several months I've heard somebody get vehemently passionate about the fact that ain't nobody going to make me take no vaccine. Ain't nobody sticking no needle in my arm. Everybody else may die. I can tell you, they can come to my house with a tank and an army. But nobody's going to put any needle in my arm. I promise you that. I can't tell you time and time again how I've heard somebody get passionate over the fact nobody's going to infringe upon their freedom of choice to not take the vaccine. Now listen, the point I want to make is, is that I wish the people of God would show the same passion for their freedom and liberty from sin when it shows up. I wish we would get that fired up when sin knocks on the door and tries to creep back into our life that we with, with that much passion would say, hey, I see you there, sin. I know what you're up to, but don't come in here because you're not getting in this heart anymore. You don't have any dominion in this place. I stand in the power and the authority of the name of Jesus Christ and his blood that has washed over me. I'm not doing that stuff anymore. It's amazing how quick Christians will sacrifice the freedom and the liberty that Jesus bought with his blood to just slide right back into something that has no dominion over them anymore. Man, we'll sacrifice freedom in a hurry. And so, so watch this. I need you to hear this tonight, and it might hurt a little bit at first, but it's a good pain. It's a growing pain. I had to go through this pain myself. Jesus broke sin's grip on me. So the only reason I now sin is because I keep my grip on it. I didn't do it because I had to. I did it because deep down I wanted to. But the good part is I can choose not to. Release yourself from sin. Depart from iniquity. It has no dominion over your life. If we do so, we can be taken up in the hands of our Savior and used as an honorable vessel for His glory. Instruction number two, remove the dirt. You've got to release and you've got to remove. Go look at verse 21. He says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what his Dishonorable. Paul informs us that the next step in preparing ourselves to be useful vessels is cleansing. So we are to cleanse ourselves from what is dishonorable or impure. Now, ultimately, it's Jesus and Jesus alone who cleanses us by his blood from our sins once and for all. Listen, sin is a stain that can't be bleached out. It has to be washed over. And that's what Jesus did for us by the spilling of his blood. So as believers, we are washed with the blood of Jesus but we still pick up some dirt from time to time. Even though we do our best in step one to release from sin, the reality is that from time to time and from moment to moment, we're going to have a slip up. We're going to have a mistake. We're going to have a shortcoming. We're going to dip into something that we shouldn't have, and we're going to pick up some dirt from time to time. It happens now and then. Paul understood this struggle maybe as well as anyone. In Romans 7, I'm going to read you a couple of verses. Listen to what he says. For I, I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing that I hate. 
For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Can any, this may be some of the most relatable scriptures in all of the Bible. To hear Paul say this, sometimes we put Paul on a pedestal as if he never had a struggle, as if he was above sin in certain ways. But he says, the stuff that I want to do, I don't do. And the stuff that I don't want to do is what I end up doing. Can anybody relate to that? In any way, form, or fashion, I can relate to it each and every day. Paul understood the struggle. Paul understood that from time to time we pick up some dirt by doing the things we know we shouldn't be doing. Humanity has always struggled with this. You can go all the way back to the garden where Adam and Eve existed in perfect harmony with God and his creation. And God says to not do what? Don't eat from the fruit of the tree. And what did they do? The one thing that they were told not to to do. Even humanity jokes upon itself. You see it show up in all kinds of different media. Beauty and the Beast. How many of you love Beauty and the Beast? One of my favorite movies as a kid growing up. What did the Beast tell Belle? Go anywhere you want except where? The west wing of the castle. Don't go over there. What's she do? Went to the one place that she wasn't supposed to go to. It's these kind of don't push the red button. This is the one rule of the house kind of moments that just lock into our mentality to where we can't help but cross that line when somebody draws it in front of us. We battle with not doing the things that we're told not to do. Just like if I told you right now, right now in this moment, do not, and I mean do not look at the person beside you. Everything inside of you wants to look at that person beside you right now just because I said not to do it. Another example. I could tell you that, okay, for instance, for the rest of this night, you're not going to be allowed to use the restroom. Some of you instantly just got the urge to go. You ain't even thought twice about using the restroom, but just because I said, you're not going to have the freedom to do it for the rest of the night. Some of y'all were instantaneously like, So it is with our daily efforts to walk in the Spirit and abstain from fleshly desires. The reality is we're going to pick up some dirt along the way. The problem is we can't be good, useful vessels when we're covered in dirt from the world. Listen to me. When we allow ourselves to remain covered in filth that we shouldn't have on us, it hurts ministry. It hinders our witness it clouds our discernment, it impedes our relationship, and it limits opportunity. So the question becomes, how do we get cleaned up? And I think it's a good question to ask, and one that we need an answer to. And one thing about us as people that I've noticed to be true is that we want cleaning to be convenient. We want cleaning to be convenient. I mean, just look at the inventions mankind has come up with over the years to make cleaning more convenient. We have washers and dryers for our laundry. So there's no more any of that. I get the metal bin out in the backyard with the little scrubber thing, you know, that you see this in the old history books, and they're scrubbing up and down the washer clothes. We've got washers and dryers that handle that stuff. We've got dishwashers now, so there's no longer any washing it by hand. I've got a machine that I can just put the dishes into, and it takes care of it for me so I don't have to worry about it. I even saw a commercial the other day advertising these, these new and improved pods that you can put in your dishwasher 
that are supposed to eliminate the need for you to pre-wash. So for those of you, you know, that like wash the dishes in the sink and then stick them into the dishwasher, they're saying, now, you people, you've got it backwards. This is not why we invented the dishwasher. There should be no need for that. And so we've got this detergent pot that you can put in there, and it eliminates the need to do the pre-wash. It's convenient. We've got automated car washes. On your way to this church tonight, you probably passed by at least seven or eight different car washes just on Cloverdale Road to get here tonight. Why? Because it's easy and convenient. We'll have to get the bucket out in the driveway and drag that hose out and hook it up to the spigot and then take care of it ourselves and scrub back and forth with a brush. We can just go through a machine that takes care of it for us. It's easy. It's convenient. We've got robot vacuums that run around in the house for us that we can set up on a scheduled timer that is convenient for when nobody is at the house or while we're asleep to clean the floor up for us because God forbid we pick up a broom and just sweep it ourselves. We want cleaning to be convenient. Why? Because we're more inclined to do it if it's convenient. We're more inclined to do it if it's simple. And this certainly isn't always how he sets things up, but God actually accommodates us on cleaning. Look at this, 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He says, if, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen to me, the key to cleansing is confessing. And that's it. It's that simple. It's that convenient. It's that easy for us to receive cleansing in our lives. Listen, when you get disgusting, get to confessing, and God goes to cleansing. That simple. That easy. Just because, listen, I think i got to make this point. Just because it's convenient doesn't mean you need to get complacent. Just because God made cleansing convenient and simple doesn't mean we need to get complacent to the point where we take it for granted or take advantage of it. When we pick up a little bit of dirt and just think, ah, no big deal. Hey, God, I'm sorry. Messed up. Will you clean me now? Don't take it like that. Don't abuse grace like that. Don't take advantage of God. Don't make a mockery out of him like that. To be useful vessels, we've got to stay on top of maintenance. Keep the dirt cleaned out. If you want to be an honorable vessel used for his glory, remove the dirt. Instruction number three, last one. Remember to run. Seems a little out of place, but we'll make it make sense. So if you go and look at verse 22, the first part of that verse, Paul says this to Timothy, so flee youthful passions. And when Paul was writing this to Timothy, Timothy was a young man at the time, and Paul tells them to flee youthful passions. Now, a lot of people tend to take that as meaning sexual in nature, but it's not just that. Paul meant for him to flee all sinful desires in general. So everything that is sinful, flee from those things. Listen, if it doesn't honor God, if it doesn't bring him glory, then run away from it. Get out of that situation. Get away from that place. I remember in eighth grade, me and some of my buddies went rolling. You know what that is? In case you're not familiar with... The concept, you just go to the dollar store and you buy a bunch of cheap toilet paper and you go to somebody's house and you throw it all up in the trees and in the yard and all over the porch and on the house and all that good stuff. So that's what we're doing. Eighth grade, we're rolling one of our friend's yard. I was on the front porch doing some stuff. You don't have to know what those things are, but I was up there doing it. Didn't have anything to do with vandalizing somebody's property or anything like that. I was just on the front porch doing some things. When uh, the front porch light flicked on. <laughs> now, it was like 1 o'clock in the morning. 
And the only reason that light came on is because somebody on the inside flicked it on. And it was right beside my face. And I remember the moment that it came on, without hesitation, I was gone. And now they lived a solid three or 400 yards away from the road. But I promise you, I closed that gap in about 3.2 seconds. It was that quick. I was gone. Hey, our getaway car pulled up. This guy in one of his trucks. I didn't get in the cab. I'm talking like full leap, headfirst dive into the bed. The first thing that hit the opposite side of the bed of the truck was my forehead. But it didn't matter in that moment because I was getting out of there. I think a lot of godly people get in trouble because they don't run as soon as they should. When sinfulness shows up, instead of running, we're lingering. And then we end up getting caught in some place that we don't need to be in. Listen, I love you guys like crazy. Y'all don't understand. Y'all are constantly on my mind. You're constantly on my heart. You drive me crazy how much you consume my life. And so I need you to receive this. There are places, look, look, look. There are places that this vessel doesn't belong in. There are things that this vessel shouldn't be participating in. And God has given us his Holy Spirit to be just like that front porch light for us. When you find yourself somewhere you shouldn't be or about to participate in something that you shouldn't, that light switches on and listen to me, it's time to run. It's time to get out of there. It's not time to hesitate. It's not time to linger. It's time to tuck tail and haul butt, for a lack of a better word, and get away from that place. First Thessalonians 5.22 says, abstain from every form of evil. Don't linger in the presence of what doesn't honor God. We see running all throughout Scripture. And it's always in the context of two specific motives. We are to run our race. In other words, by faith, we are to run down the path that Jesus has set us upon. And in the other instance that we see where we are commanded to run in Scripture is when we are to run from sin. In order to be the vessels that we're called to be, we've got to get back to running. Get away from the things that you know as a child of God you don't need to be around and you don't need to be participating in. If we want him to take us up and use us as an honorable vessel, remember to run when you find yourself in dishonorable places. That's our manual for use. So let's maximize our usefulness to Jesus as a vessel that he can pour his glory into and out through. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for his glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.